0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 18, 13 through 27, called Balancing the Scales.
1: I had mentioned... This morning, that we have a lot of young up and coming leaders. I see a lot of future pastors here. I'm very excited about that. We have faithful pastors and elders that lead this church, and it's exciting. And it's not just about here; it's about other places where God might send uh, these young men who are training for ministry. It's great. You can't do it alone. And I was able to take you know uh, two three weeks off, and the pulpit was well taken care of. Pastor Matthew and Pastor Shane and uh, different guys on Wednesday nights coming in to teach. Great, strong young men. I'm very excited about that. And so Jethro says to Moses 19, Now listen to me, and I shall give you counsel. You're you're telling everybody else what to do, but even counselors need counsel. Amen. (laughs) I will tell you, getting involved with other people's problems is taxing. Can I get a witness? We have a few that do this for a living. It's fatiguing. And it's not that you don't want to help, but it's that you're human too. And when you get involved in people's drama, What happens is you can't help but carry it. And this is not dissuading any of you from getting help because we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. But it's still heavy for us. And I often feel exhausted when I'm in the trenches with people. Sometimes the toughest is marital counseling. Do you know why? Because when most of us decide to go to marriage counseling, you know what we want to do? We sit down and we say, okay, finally I can tell somebody what this guy's been up to this whole time. What he doesn't do, what she doesn't do, right? Just put your seatbelt on, Pastor, because here we go. <laughs> and we go from the toilet paper to the you know, the honeydew list to this and that and up and down and back. And well, I'm not getting this and I'm not getting this and I'm not getting. That. <laughs> if you go into counseling to complain about your spouse it ain't going to help. You're probably going to wear out your counselor, (laughs) and you're not going to help yourself. But if you go in and say, you know what, we got some issues, but we both are here to work on them. We know this is a two-way street. We know that we both bring our frailties and weaknesses and idiosyncrasies to this marriage, but we want to make it work, and we're in covenant together. And please give us biblical wisdom and knowledge. Now, that's a whole different ballgame. Amen? Amen. That's where now you're going to make some improvement. I didn't hear one amen. I said the amen. I was hoping you guys would sneak it in there, but your spouse is right next to you and you don't know what to do. Anyway. And I love the fact that Jethro not only discerns the problem, but he's going to offer counsel on how there is a solution. I shall give you counsel. God be with you. That's, I want you to test it. You be the people's representative before God. And you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. And then he, as we'll talk about in a moment, select others to help you with the task. It is always wonderfully refreshing when someone not only gives you constructive criticism, but offers a solution as well. So some years ago, I took a phone call at the church. Well-meaning church member says to me, I believe that we need this particular ministry at the church. And we were a smaller church at that time, with not a lot of people to help. And we were doing something similar, but kind of different on a, on, a, on another level. And this person said, "I really think we need this." And I said, "Oh, well, then is it on your heart to start it? Uh, I mean, if you're passionate about it, we could really use your leadership. And if you want, oh, no, 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 I don't want to. I want the church to implement that." And I said, "Aren't you the church? I mean, isn't this a team effort here?" Is, you want us to add something else we don't have the manpower or the resources to do one more thing but if it's on your heart we'll certainly surround you we'll we'll certainly come alongside you and su- support you in that no 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 i want you to do it if the church gets the mentality that going to church is like going to our favorite restaurant we'll grade how the service was We'll uh it's like going to our favorite store. If if I got good service then I'll I'll let you know, and if not, well, you know, maybe we should consider uh an alternative plan. (laughs) You got it wrong, man. If if the church in the modern age continues to present itself as a spectator sport where everybody comes and gathers a couple times a month and yeah, it was pretty good today, or it wasn't so good, or didn't like the tie, or whatever, and you leave, then we're not the body of Christ. Amen? This is the truth of the matter. And sadly, the church has become more about consumerism in many pockets than about the body and the life of the body. And the good news is here, there's so many people engaged in ministry and, and it's going well. And so many of you have leadership qualities. The room is filled with leaders. But I will, I'll say when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the wider church. And I want you to notice something else about Jethro's Council. He provides solution and he doesn't tell Moses, oh, you shouldn't be the prophet anymore or you know somebody else should be there. No, he just is reordering and dispensing the leadership in a different way. And that's important too. Moses' calling is undeniable. He just needs help. And so you shall select 21. The idea is do it with discernment and insight. Out of all the people, here's the qualities you should look for. And this is why I think Jethro's wisdom is from heaven. You are to pick able men. What does that mean? Men of strength, efficiency, ability, virtue, and valor. Rise up, O men of God. Rise up, O men of God. We need men to stand up. Men who will fear God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and it speaks of reverence, humility, obedience. To know God, to fear him, to seek his glory above all things. We need men of truth. Men of truth are men who speak the truth, They have stability in their lives. They're trustworthy. They're firm. They're faithful. They're reliable. Men who hate dishonest gain. They cannot be bought with a bribe. They are not in ministry for money. You shall place them over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Oh, Lord, how we need these qualities in men, not only of the church, but what would happen if these qualities were found in corporate America and government offices around this land. You see, many people, I was on a conference call with an attorney who is a man of faith, and he was talking about all the COVID stuff and everything that's going on with organizations and pressure and all this stuff. And he said these words, and this is a man who has great faith and has fought a lot of fights on the front line. He goes, I, I no longer have any confidence in the legal system, in politicians. He said, I've lost confidence. I think we're in the last days. And when you hear someone who's normally positive and is fighting the good fight in court cases and doing a lot of great things say something like that, you're like, wow. And oh, that we would find able men who fear God, men of truth, who hate dishonest gain, and who will step up. God said in Ezekiel 22, I searched the land for someone who would stand in the gap and take up the hedge, but I found no one. Looking for leaders, heaven is continually scanning to and fro upon the earth, looking for a man through which God can show himself faithful. I've watched this for three decades now, brethren. And I will say to you, there is a desperate need for strong and godly leadership. And these qualities, which move over into the New Testament qualification for elders, in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, verses 6 through 9, 1 Peter 5, and essentially it says this, if you're going to shepherd my people, you need to have my heart. I want under shepherds who are under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, I want you to have my heart for my people. I want you to make it about my glory and not about yours. And I could, I could talk about politics, and I could talk about all the disappointments in different realms of life, but this is addressed to God's people, so we got to start right here. Amen? Because if I told you of all the church scandals in the last five years, and I began to delineate them from this pulpit, we'd be here until five in the afternoon, we'd pass around the peanuts. There's people falling left and right who have been given positions of authority in the church, and I say this with fear and trembling, because anyone who says anything like this could fall on their face in the next moment. We have, we have an enemy. We have a very real enemy. And we know that the combination of issues that have gone into church falls, pastoral falls, they're always the same. They're when a man thinks that he can do it alone in the power of his flesh. And then the fallout can have different Branches from the same tree. A man gets prideful. He thinks he's got it. He thinks he doesn't need any help. He's got it all together. He's got a Moses complex. He's got the staff in the corner. He's written the book. He signs the autographs. And down he goes. And the fall is usually hard. And that's the one time the press will report on the church. They won't talk about pastors who stay at the bedsides of sick people and pray with families and enter into all kinds of people's pain. I could go on and on about the list of things of pastoral duties. And you might be shocked to know there's a very long list of things that we get involved with. And I'm not trying to make this more than it is, but only to say to you, it's a big, big job. It's a big call. And we need more men of valor. We need them desperately. And I thank you, you guys who pray for us. And those of you who are part of the solution Faithful uh, board of elders and deacons and pastors, and so many levels of leadership. I could go on and on about how you guys faithfully serve to make this happen. But this is what we need. In Acts chapter 6, you know, they, they had thousands in the church, and some of the widows felt like they were being overlooked, and they chose seven men. But the, those seven men were to be filled with the Spirit, they were to be men of wisdom. They weren't just warm bodies. There, there's, a, there's a standard, brethren. And I think we've lowered the bar too much. This is what I am going to say to you. I think we've lowered the bar too much. Instead of calling men higher, men and women higher, I think we've lowered the bar. And so, so people think, well, it's going on over there and they don't care about that over there, so we won't care about it. But what we should care about is the glory of God. So here's the solution. Kind of like, almost like our court system of the day. Let those who you appoint judge the peoples at all times. Let every major dispute, uh, they will bring to you every minor dispute, almost like a, you know, a Supreme Court and lower courts. Uh, they themselves will judge. So it will be easy for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands, if he affirms it is what you could take from this language, then you will be able to endure. <laughs> I want you to last. You're my son-in-law. You're married to my daughter. You have my grandchildren. And all these people also will go to their place in Shalom. Peace. Bring it to the Lord for approval. That's always a positive thing when someone says that. Make sure that the Lord is affirming this. And so Moses listened to his father-in-law, 24, and he did all that he said. He was not above counsel.
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Listen to our podcast mini-series, A Step Closer. In these series, Pastor Michael Lance and
1: others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics we face in our life from a Christian perspective. Our next series is called In His Image, A Case for Life in a Post-Roe v. Wade World with guest speaker Scott Klusendorf from the Life Training Institute. You know, sometimes we as pastors think, oh boy, I don't want to get distracted. I want to stay tethered to the Great Commission. And I agree, we should be about the Great Commission. But the
0: question is, what does the Great Commission teach? The Great Commission teaches that we are to disciple believers. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, we're to teach them to obey all that Christ commands. What is
1: one of those commands in Scripture? We're not to shed innocent blood. Exodus 23, 7 teaches that. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 teaches that. Matthew 5, 21
0: references that. So when we speak about abortion, which is the shedding of innocent blood, we're not distracting people from the Great Commission. We're helping them align with it.
1: You can listen to A Step Closer on walkintruth.com, or you can subscribe and follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. That's Walk in Truth's A Step Closer on your favorite podcast app.
0: We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth.
1: Let those who you appoint judge the peoples at all times. Let every major dispute uh, they will bring to you, every minor dispute, almost like a a Supreme Court and lower courts, uh, they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands, if he affirms it is what you could take from this language, then you will be able to endure. (laughs) I want you to last. You're my son-in-law. You're married to my daughter. You have my grandchildren. And all these people also will go to their place in shalom, peace. Bring it to the Lord for approval. That's always a positive thing when someone says that. Make sure that the Lord is affirming this. And so Moses listened to his father-in-law, 24, and he did all that he said. He was not above counsel. Sure, he went to the Lord. I'm sure you know Moses was hearing from the Lord, and I'm sure he probably said something like, "Is this you? And if it is, then help me to implement it." Some of you might be saying, "Well, why didn't God just give direct revelation to Moses about the structure of uh, this system?" I don't know. But how about this? Maybe God was trying to say, Moses, you're going to be a model for sometimes there's going to be a Bible verse and it's going to be very clear revelation from God and you'll say, there it is. And there's going to be other times where in a multitude of counselors, you'll find ways to implement spiritual truth. Amen? You got to have both. And of course we need godly wisdom to discern you know, what's from God and what's not. And so Moses, heeded the advice and notice he did all that he had said. He followed Jethro's plan to at proverbs nine eight through ten says, "Do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy one is understanding in the classic the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom proverbs nine ten right before it comes the teaching of a wise man will will receive counsel and will increase in his learning. That's part of what it means to fear the Lord, is to be teachable and to be open. And that's indeed what Moses did. He had a blind spot. He couldn't see it. Jethro saw it. And uh, I believe the Lord probably just confirmed this as another example of how we glean wisdom in the Christian life. The Bible's first. We pray about everything. We test everything. But sometimes in the multitude of counselors, that's how God gives the wisdom. And so Moses, final verses, chose able men out of all Israel, seemingly across all the tribes to have good representation, made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, entrust the gospel to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what Moses did. There was a selection process. The people were involved to some degree, but Moses confirmed everything. And they judged the people at all times, 26, the difficult dispute, dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. And so Moses bade his father-in-law farewell and he went into his own land, having given Moses, I believe, a great gift of structure and wisdom that guided Israel all through the wilderness, wanderings and beyond and moved into the New Testament model of elders and pastors. I will say, um, as I think about this, and if the worship team can hear my voice, why don't you come on out, As you study the New Testament passages on leadership, there's something interesting in 1 Timothy 5, and it says this that basically, elders who rule well are worthy of honor and even double honor. And it goes on to say, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Let me say what the conclusion of many is in this regard. They say that in the 1 Timothy 5 passage, I'm trying to remember the specific verse. it implies that there'll be some elders or pastors who do the bulk of the teaching while other ruling elders will help rule the congregation or in this case, shepherd the church, supporting that main teacher, but having equal authority. So I I do see that. And I think that's why some of you may be curious, well, why don't all the elders just rotate? Why is there one main teacher? That that seems to be implied in the First Timothy 5 passage, that there are some that spend more time in preparation teaching because perhaps they have more of that gifting or calling or what have you. In Revelation 2 and 3, when it addresses the seven churches, Jesus does to the angel of this church, Ephesus, Laodicea, you name it, Smyrna. The angel is Angelos in Greek, And many scholars don't believe it's a literal angel. They believe that each of the letters addressed to the seven churches are the lead elder or pastor of that congregation, which would imply that in the structure of local church leadership, you can have like a senior pastor, a group of elders and pastors that are all doing the work together, but perhaps one who is identified as the lead in terms of that congregation. I I put that forth to you just so that you understand not only the structure, but the accountability that goes with that. Because if you're a man, and we have people who watch this who are from various parts of the country, and you're called to lead a church, guess what? You're gonna answer to the chief shepherd. Let not many of you become teachers. We will incur what? The stricter judgment. So when I get up behind this hunk of wood, as much as I would like to flip my hat around and say, let me entertain you. I want you all to like me. I want everything. You're a champion. You can make it. You can do it. That would be my flesh, but I'm not called to that. I'm called to teach the word of God. Amen? And the good, the bad, the hard, <laughs> and you get it every week. You guys keep coming back. That's what amazes me, too, that you, you keep coming back for some reason. Now, I know what you do. It's the living word of God. Amen. And we know we need it, and so Moses obeyed, listened, and implemented the plan. In Jesus's earthly ministry, when he's uh, he goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's he's transfigured before Peter, James, and John, Mark chapter nine, and they're talking to Jesus and the glory clouds there, and the Father says, "This is my beloved Son; listen to him." In Mark's account, after that miracle happens, Moses and Elijah are not to be seen anymore, and only Jesus is left there. Moses representing the law. Elijah represents the prophets. By the way, Moses is still alive. Long after the Bible says that he died and God buried him, uh, 1,500 years later, he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Your loved one who has gone on in the Lord, they're very much alive. And we got a reunion day coming, man. But, yeah, amen? But Moses and Elijah, law prophets, fade into the background, and only Jesus is left, as if to say, the law and the prophets are fulfilled right here in the judge. And the judge, bow your heart with me, became human and took our judgment. More than that, the judge took his own judgment.
0: You've been listening to Balancing the Scales, part three on Walk in Truth. And that was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus eighteen thirteen through 27. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, we'd love it if you would join us this Sunday morning for church service at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Now, you can do that whether you live in Southern California or not. We live stream our 1030 a.m. service. But if you're in the area, we'd prefer if you come in and fellowship in person. You can get service and live stream information when you visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word.
1: Well, maybe you're a leader and you are... Tired and tapped out like Moses. <laughs> you feel like, man, every time I turn around, someone's demanding my time. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or a homeschooling parent. And you're like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> what do I do to divide the labor? I don't have elders that I could call upon. I don't have leaders of tribes. <laughs> you know, what, what do I do when I need a break? That's a really good question. You know, there is a, uh in many ways, a shortage of leadership in the local church and Maybe you feel like that's true in your family. Um, as, as we grow, we can grow other people to become leaders. And let's just take it into the church context for a moment. What do we do to balance the scales? Maybe you're a, a pastor of a small church. You're bivocational. I did that for a couple of years, and I know that's difficult. Maybe you're a faithful servant at your local church, but you work 50 or 60 hours a week. And you're like, man, I get tired. I hit the wall. You know, the the old adage, uh, you know, 20% of the church is doing the bulk of the work. What about the other 80%? You know, I believe this is a year. This is what we've been sensing at our local fellowship in Corona. This is a year of harvest, a year of growth, and a year for people who are not doing anything to step up and serve. So I want you to just let that sit before you for a moment. If you've been part of a church for a long time and you're not serving, you're missing something. You're not using your gifts. Therefore, the church ultimately is not getting the blessing of what you can offer. And maybe you would say, well, I don't feel like I have much to offer. I get that. I get that feeling. But you have a spiritual gift. You have at least one. And if you know what that gift is, your job is to engage it. And if you have a gift that's not engaged and you're thinking, well, I don't even know how to go about that. Talk to your pastor. Um, if you're you know, one of those leaders that I described earlier and you feel like you're all alone, keep teaching, keep being faithful. I want, something I noticed, and this was kind of slow and steady over several decades, the Lord sent us more and more mature believers because we were equipping the saints and people were growing and they were engaging their gifts. And I believe... As you stay faithful, the Lord will surround you with more and more leaders. Um, He is faithful. Hey, if we can help you in any way, if you're a pastor and we can pray for you, you can send in prayer requests at walkintruth.com. There's a little place there for comments. You can put a prayer request there. You can let us know how we can pray for you. We do have pastors available during the week right here in Southern California. Normal business hours, Tuesday through Friday. Here's the number. 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. If you want to call that number and maybe you just need some prayer because you're tired or maybe you need uh, someone to hear you out, maybe you have a question, uh, we're here to help. 844-48-TRUTH. God bless you. I pray that you'll take advantage of what's available on the website, what's available through that calling that phone number. And uh, I thank you for your partnership and your prayers on behalf of the whole team here at Walk in Truth. We love you. Pray you have a tremendous weekend. God bless.
0: And join us on Monday for Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 19 called Our God is a Consuming Fire. I'm Mike Massaro. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.